0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Lee Brack, and as our listeners know, we spend a lot of time on this show talking to people who have found their bliss. So we've had on a lot of TV personalities, celebrities, authors, mindfulness experts, and people all who've had the privilege of being able to find and follow their passion and purpose in life. So imagine for a moment that a huge segment of our population does not have one of the most basic rights and privileges, such as literacy, knowing how to read. Reading is something we all take for granted. So imagine not being able to read for pleasure, to not be able to order from a menu, to not be able to work in a field that you love or have the ability to help your children with their homework, to not be able to pursue higher education or just even Google online and do a Google search and ultimately to not be informed about what is happening in the world. Hundreds of thousands of Canadians, children and young adults in their 20s and 30s have really slipped through the cracks in our educational system and do not have these rights. Enter an incredible person named Robin Keystone, who's a remedial literacy teacher and linguistic specialist. And she co-created a wonderful community with an amazing initiative called Literal Change, which is all about providing a positive academic setting for people who have struggled in the mainstream classroom. She has a passion for teaching people how to read and write and help individuals reconnect with their educational journeys. And her team, her awesome team is made up of individuals from all walks of life and backgrounds who all have an understanding of the barriers that are being faced in vulnerable Toronto communities. And they all feel that everyone has a right to access education and that with effective strategies and supports, individuals will be able to reach their career and academic potential. The goal of this initiative is just to improve the literacy levels of communities and populations who have not had proper access to educational supports and alternative learning strategies. Also, later on in the show, we have on a return guest, the uber-talented singer-songwriter Seth Zosky, who is a member of the Sensational Singing Group Season. And he recently was part of the 2021 Mental Health Empowerment Day, MHED virtual conference, where he not only shared a personal story about his own experience with mental health, but he also sang an original song that was heartbreakingly beautiful. And he's going to be singing it for us today. But first, let me tell you a little more about Robert Keystone. Robin Keystone is a literary specialist, as mentioned, who has been working in the field of literacy, education, and learning disabilities for the last decade. She has an MSc from the University of Edinburgh, a BA from Dalhousie University, and a TESOL certificate, which we're going to ask her about what that means, from the University of Toronto. She obtained her Orton-Gillingham certification through the Canadian Dyslexia Society With Evelyn Reese, and she's a registered member of the International Dyslexia Association Ontario branch. She currently co-runs a private school and Canadian charity that are both in the business of supporting members of the community who are struggling with low literacy levels and learning disabilities. She believes that literacy proficiency is a fundamental stepping stone in helping individuals positively connect with their community and navigate a society that is overwhelmingly dominated, by print and text. Robin, welcome to Finding Your Bless.
2: Thanks, Judy. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Before we go anywhere, I'm going to ask you, what is a TESOL, T-E-S-O-L certificate from the University it's, of Toronto?
2: It's teaching English as a second language. So that's where I started um, in terms of Um, Education and and especially um, English education. And from there, it kind of snowballed into um, learning disabilities and and literacy specialization. So, but definitely my start in teaching was with teaching English as a second language classroom.
1: You are an educator and a literacy specialist who has taught hundreds of people how to read and write. You help individuals reconnect with their educational journeys and you have a huge passion for doing this. How did this all evolve and transpire?
2: Uh, yeah, it was a very organic trajectory, I think into this place where I'm at now. Um, I started in private education working for a learning center and I started teaching, um, children with learning disabilities from autism, Asperger's, ADHD, um, dyslexia spectrum as well. Um, And I was trained in this structured literacy approach and I was really good at teaching kids to read within, you know, six to eight months. Um, And then, I realized um, with my partner Martha, we realized okay, people are knocking down our door within these affluent communities. They have, you know, the resources and the funding to afford this type of therapy or remedial service. Um, We can only imagine what populations that are coming from low-income communities or more marginalized communities within the city, um, what they're dealing with. And that's sort of the springboard for literal change in general. Um, We actually started teaching in the Toronto East Detention Centre and the Toronto South Detention Centre with the incarcerated population there. Um, There is a major correlation between low literacy levels and low education outcomes and incarceration in general. So um, my sister is a defense lawyer and I asked her if any of her clients would benefit from this type of intervention or educational intervention. And she said probably 90 to 95% of her clients um, could use reading support. Um, Just being able to navigate the court system or the justice system without having those skills is an incredibly difficult feat um, for so many people um, that are incarcerated or have come in contact with the law. You wrote
1: an outstanding article, Robin, for the Huffington Post called What Teaching in Jail is Teaching Me About Privilege. And you talk about what it was like teaching inmates in two of Ontario's maximum security jails and how the experience taught you a lot in a very short amount of time. And as you said, I'm learning about an alternative universe that exists in parallel to mine. What did you mean by this? And can you paint us a picture of what this experience was like?
2: Yes. Well, I can, you know, I'm a pretty level-headed person. So it wasn't, when I was growing up, and I think I used this phrase in the article, it felt like leave it to beaver. Like I grew up in Etobicoke. It's, a, you know, an affluent suburb of Toronto and very sheltered. And so, you know, I... Went downtown occasionally, I, but most of my interactions with society were in a to, Etob- within Etobicoke. And I think, um, just when we entered the facilities and, and started out with the incarcerated community, you start meeting people from, various communities across the city, whether it be downtown or whether it's the West end of the city or Scarborough or Rexdale or, or North York, wherever, because this is, these are the hubs or these are the the facilities which are housing, um, various incarcerated members of, of communities from all across the GTA. Um, you start to realize how sheltered you really were, um, And that I grew up with learning disabilities myself and a lot of difficulties with reading and writing, yet I had supports and I had teachers and I had resources um, and I had people in my life that were helping me overcome these obstacles and were, you know, guiding me in more positive outcomes for my life. and you're interacting with people on the inside and you're hearing their stories and it's hard to empathize because you obviously do emotionally but because it's so different and like completely opposite from any experience that you've ever had in your life it's just hard to kind of wrap your head around that whoa we're coming from the same place like We come from this exact same city. Um, This isn't a different country or a different um, universe or dimension. Um, It's literally around the corner or a 20 minute drive or a 15 minute drive. Um, So it's, uh, there's a lot going on in your mind and in your head um, as you're sitting in front of people that you're digesting um, at the same time as, you know, trying to provide them with um, that space. Where they feel supported, yet you're in a jail, um, and how that looks as well. So it's a, yeah, it's an interesting concept.
1: You you even said that you were aware not to judge. You never judged anyone. Was this sort of a conscious decision? Is this just your your character that you said? How do I have the right to judge? people who've had an experience that's so different from my experience and who have not been given the privileges that I was given you, you even wrote, you've had difficulties, as you just said, with reading and writing. As you put it, school was always hard and rarely did I find it interesting. I often felt embarrassed, unfocused and disengaged because reading was such a difficult task, but you had people that you could go to that could help you through this and they did for people who don't have this and who just don't come from any privilege and can't and can't access what they need to access in order to learn to read and write. You, you uh, it, it just seems mind-boggling. And you became you became catapulted. You got catapulted into this world, and and so where was this sense? I'm not going to judge anyone. I'm just going to do the work.
2: Well, because what's the point of doing the work? <laughs> it, especially, like, what's the point of having? A, a, a prison system or a system like this where somebody is incarcerated and then they come out and they're still have a label on their back they still have trouble getting a job they still have trouble re-entering community you're just asking for recidivism which means to you know go back to into a, a facility so for me to do the work it's I want to help these people reconnect with their community. I want them to reconnect with positive outcomes. And if I have a judgment in my head that this person is, is whatever, you know, the courts have said they are, or they've been charged with or whatever it might be, then there's no way I could possibly do the job, right? Like without, or put as much energy into the relationship into the work that I do, if I'm going to have a, you know, a preconceived notion of this person or this individual, and so you really have to strip all of that. If you actually think what you're doing is going to benefit community or benefit society, um, and I think that's a major issue that we have just generally between our legal system um, and society at large, is this idea that once you're incarcerated, you're always an incarcerated person or a formally incarcerated person. And that's going to create a ton of barriers for these individuals in general.
1: I sense that you're doing a lot more than teaching them how to read and write. You're giving them this love and compassion and understanding. It's a lot more than teaching them literacy. Would you agree with that? You're yeah,
2: w- well, I think that that has to be the relationship with any student, between student and teacher, right? I think sometimes in our, our even our education system, there's a power struggle that goes on between student and teacher um, within the classroom, and, and that can create barriers to learning for students. And so our philosophy, whether it be in literal change or whether it be in the, in the school that we run, is that there isn't, there isn't that power struggle. Um, It's not because you're a teacher that you're an authority and it has to be this. It's you're a peer and that you're a supporter and that you're guiding the educational process for, for these individuals, whether it be an adult who's 55 or, you know, a child who's eight um, and really working hard to facilitate that rapport and that Um, feeling of safety within the environment because the safer um, and more secure somebody feels within their, you know, whether it be home life, community, school, classroom, um, the more they're going to take away from the educational experience.
1: Even though this wasn't part of the research, I'm almost getting the sense that this needs to be part of the school system, not just an adjunct to the school system. Definitely. That, That people like you need to be in the schools actually doing this from the get-go so that people don't have to deal with it after when they've been incarcerated, when they've gotten into trouble, when they're not feeling like a member of of their community or society.
2: Yeah, I think um, (laughs) that's been such a huge goal for our charity for so long is to really work with the school board and work with school systems to bring this type of education into the classroom and into the spec ed classroom, special education classroom in general. And last year, um, we actually became official educational partners of the Toronto District School Board. So we'll be working over the next two years to train educators um, in our methodology in Orton-Gillingham. And really, we want to empower as many students and as many teachers with these tools and strategies um, so that Every student in every classroom has access because they're proven, they're effective, they have been around for years, since the 1930s, um, and it really needs to be a fundamental part of, of education in general.
1: Tell me, uh, tell us what Wharton-Gillingham is, just so our, our listeners understand, what is that? <laughs>
2: yeah, um, I know. It's a mouthful, it's a mouthful in itself. Um, yes, yeah, so it's under what they call a structured literacy um, umbrella or approach. Um, there's uh, various methodologies under structured literacy. So you've got um, empowered reading through Sick Kids Hospital, Barton Method, Wilson Method. They're all methodologies. But really, the key is that. Um, They're teaching the mechanics and the fundamentals of what it means to read from very basic foundational skills to more complex areas of learning. And you use um, specific strategies and tools that you directly and explicitly teach to each of your students to help them spell so encoding to help them decode or read to help them make associations between this letter makes this particular sound Um, we run an assessment of each learner and we identify strengths and weaknesses areas um, gaps in their knowledge base just generally and then we create a very student-centered plan of action based around what they need specifically, but we also work really hard to incorporate as much of that student into the classroom as possible. So thinking about what they really like to do, what their talents are, what their hobbies are, the more they feel connected to the space and the more they can see themselves within the space, whether that be culturally or um you know, just based on their interests, the more they're going to take away from the educational experience in general. Um, So it's really the bee's knees of education and literacy education in general. It sounds awesome. I think in
1: the virtual green room before the show, when we talked, you also mentioned that there's something very sensory about the experience. You're not just learning in the traditional way can you elaborate on what that means
2: for sure so one of the pillars of orton gillingham is that it's multisensory learning which means that a student is processing language through their visual auditory kinesthetic and tactile senses simultaneously so we do we have particular strategies that we teach to the students for spelling and decoding and phonemic awareness which is understanding what letters make what sounds, um, so that they if there's a weakness in one particular area of their learning pathways, they're using all of their senses at the same time in order to connect, which leads to more effective processing of information and also longer-term retention and remembering of information in general. I don't know if I'm sounding too technical, but...
1: (laughs) So can you describe the countenance, the face, the appearance, the energy of a person that starts off maybe feeling what you were feeling when you were a young girl, embarrassed, ashamed, insecure, not loving learning because you weren't excelling at it because you were Mm -hmm. struggling with it. And when they start to get it and you see that light go on, can you just describe for us what that's like for you as the teacher? That must be pretty incredible. Don't answer that right now. We're going to hear Robin's answer when we come back from a short commercial break. Stay tuned. We've also got an original song from singer-songwriter Seth Zosky and documentary filmmaker Karen Shopsowitz stops by to tell us about her latest documentary, All About Elwi Yost. All of this coming to you soon. Back in a moment.
4: Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're here with someone who teaches children and adults how to read. She has even taught adults how to read and write in prison and detention centers. Robin Keystone is with us. And I asked Robin just before the break what the reaction is when the person actually learns to read for the first time.
2: It's interesting because the first thing we always hear or that I always hear, especially from an adult learner, is why didn't I learn this in school? You know, like, where was this? Or like, OK, this makes so much sense. Um, so it is a little different, you know, the reactions of a, a child that's learning to read versus an adult that's learning to read, especially an incarcerated adult, because Oftentimes they're like looking for programs to do. There's not that many resources or programming within these facilities in general. So they're quite happy to get off the range and, you know, be in a, in some sort of environment that's different than um, their units. Um, for a child that you teach to read or just seeing them actually want to come back to the space, (laughs) seeing them actually want to engage with reading is probably one of the best feelings because you know that they are starting to feel more positive about learning, which is so huge because we're moving into a time where Lifelong learning is going to be the name of the game, um, and that they're going to need to know how to navigate a lot of different texts and resources in order to, um, you know, create that future for themselves. So, watching them, you know, or like hearing from their parents that they feel more confident, or hearing that they are being more successful within the classroom is so huge. Um, with an adult, it's kind of that connection that they're like, whoa. I have never experienced an educational space like this. So I've never been provided with an experience in education like this is something that, you know, it just is a really amazing feeling. I don't really I'm not that the good I'm not that good at describing you just get a feeling internally. I I don't really know how to explain it and it drives you to go back. You know, like I've volunteered within the facilities for five years I would go there almost every day to either one facility or the other just to be able to create this space for people and help people connect with with their educational and also when you hear adults um, within a facility or even outside of a facility but you know starting to Um, goal set or like think about things that they could do or they want to put together a business plan or they want to write a poem or tiny you know it could be anything um, but that you feel that you're part of that experience for them or that you're motivating them to move in that direction um, I think is really what drives a lot of our community but definitely me for sure.
1: You started off only yourself and a partner, and with a partner creating this initiative, literal change, and it's grown in leaps and bounds into a community of volunteers and employees and students and board members and community agencies and donors and supporters. What exactly is literal change? Why did you name it that? I think I know, but uh, if you can, if you can uh, explain that for us, and and how it grew from two people into this incredible initiative with hundreds of people.
2: Yeah. So (laughs) literal change. Um, We're literally trying to make changes through literacy. You know, I've always kind of, um, I read a lot of I don't know what to call them. I don't wanna say self help books, but <laughs> they're like <Okay>. uh, <laughs> you read
1: those you read those on the show. A lot. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. They're just like kind of motivational books or business books or, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Midas Tudge, or, you know, um ones in real estate or whatever it might be that kinda get you jacked up about um business or about an initiative or an a- enterprise of some sort. And I've always kind of like had in the back of my mind, if you're doing the right thing and and if it is right for the community and if you're listening to the community and really identifying those gaps, then it's going to work. It's not hard. It's amazing. It's a lot of hard work in a lot of ways. But I mean, it happens and it rolls and it grows organically. And that is exactly what has happened with literal change right from inception. Um, We've been rejected a lot, but at the same time, over the last five years we literally went from two people to hundreds of people across the city um, and and tons of partnerships with agencies that need and require our services so um, we've always known we've been doing the right thing um, and I think that's the trajectory of the organization from from then to now really a testament of of where of what we're doing and and why we're doing it
1: you've said that the whole system is flawed so you're really looking at everyone parents teachers policymakers the judicial system and the government to help you make these changes why is the work that you do with literal change so important now more than ever before
2: um yeah we've had probably the hardest two years in our lifetime in my lifetime i know um economically mental health wise all of our systems are under a huge amount of strain um economically and financially, um, the outlook over the next three to five years at least is going to be a struggle. Um, and that's going to impact our education system and our communities specifically. And um, I think they need we need a lot of resources and a lot of resources that are scalable and that can meet the demands of what For example, statistics came out that approximately 200,000 Canadian children have been disengaged from their educational journey over the last two years. So that is a generation of um, kids who are going to have to be re-engaged. So what does that look like when you're already strapped, um, where you're already running out of resources and and have limited resources to meet the needs of learners that don't have learning disabilities but then you know you have at least 20 to 25% of your classroom with something with some sort of disability that needs attention
1: of course. Do you think just briefly that Canadians tend to overlook others and to ignore a lot of what is right in front of them because they've been so incredibly sheltered and are not seeing what's really out there? The way you were sort of living in Etobicoke and you went to the dentist downtown every six months, but you you, you didn't really know what was around you until until much later on in your life. Is that one of the reasons we're just not seeing it? And and thanks to people like you, we're 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 having to see it.
2: Yeah, I think um I think it's really easy to live in a bubble. I think it feels life can be challenging no matter what, like I'm not trying to trivialize, you know, people with a lot of resources, they have issues too. That's not it. But, you know, the more you can kind of cocoon yourself, um, I just think it's really easy to do that. Um, and it's, it's kind of an easy way to, to get through life. Um, There's a lot out there that puts a lot in perspective. Um, And, you know, I, I don't have anything to complain about. You've said that young
1: people are vulnerable and they require guidance. They need love, support, reassurance and education. That is what we need. And it's important that these individuals find their worth within the same areas that you found yours. And so I think it's time that we have to stop ignoring them, arresting them and shutting them out of our world. Right. This this. We we have to we have to do something about this now. Where are we headed as a society over the next three to five years if we don't fix this problem?
2: I we're in crisis, honestly, because I think with COVID compounded with um, a lot of how we. Um, perceive marginalized communities in general and how we isolate them and we can be isolationists are like people are just isolationists themselves in a lot of ways. Um, I think we're moving into a crisis and um, you know you spend seven hours of your day in a classroom or in a school um, and so that really has to be, We really need to put resources into these areas so that um, kids are coming out with an education and with a desire to, you know, positively engage with community and society in general.
1: In an ideal world, just very briefly, because I know we have to wrap, what would you like to see happen with literal change with your initiative?
2: Oh, I would love to see structured literacy embedded in teachers' colleges. I'd love for people to come out of Teachers College, being able to teach reading specifically. Um, Yeah, I would love to see our community continue to grow outside of the province as well. Um, We are making leaps and bounds uh, over, you know, with very little resources. So I would just like to see us grow and our whole philosophy kind of take hold of education in general.
1: That's fantastic. What is bliss for Robin Keystone?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, bliss for me is um, seeing people, you know, reconnect with literacy, reconnect with education and learning um, and just starting to feel more confident in themselves so that they can, um, you know, set more positive outcomes for themselves and community in general.
1: That's wonderful. Well, you're making a huge difference in this world and uh, really it's, it's so impressive. And I know you're very humble and you don't like to say you, it's your group, but uh, but uh, but you and your group are, are doing great things. How can our listeners connect with you and, and become volunteers, support your organization or join join the literal change community? What is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media and help?
2: All our social media handles are at Literal Change, so Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and LinkedIn as well. We have a a LinkedIn uh, profile. You can visit our website at www.literalchange.com and sign up for our newsletter Um, and also donate. You can buy Literal Change swag, um, which... You know, a portion of that um, purchase goes towards the charity as well. Um, and just spread the word and awareness and advocacy about literal change in general. Um, and if you want to reach us directly because you want to become a sustainable funding partner, um, which we are on a big mission to to create partnerships with sustainable funding opportunities, um, you can reach out to us directly at info at um, And we'd be happy to set up an information and consult session.
1: That sounds fantastic. I want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Robin Keystone, and really for bringing to light your important cause that you're so passionate about that all of us have to be passionate about. You really, as I just mentioned, are making a difference in this world. Everyone has a right to access education and needs support. And with this in place, all Canadians will be able to reach their career and academic potential and feel good about themselves and have the opportunity to find and follow their bliss. Let's all make this happen. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you.
1: We're going to go on a short commercial break, more of Finding Your Bliss and singer-songwriter Seth Sosky and the beautiful song he wrote about mental health. All of this when we come back, back in a moment. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 FM 96.7 and we're now joined by one of our favorite musical guests, singer-songwriter Seth Zosky who you'll remember from his amazing singing group, Season. And as many of you know, Seth Zosky is a singer-songwriter, musician and actor with 12 years of experience performing for audiences big and small. A graduate of Sheridan's Music Theatre Performance Program, Seth has extensive training and a strong passion for everything artistic as mentioned he is part of season a trio pop r&b rap singing group they are amazing and they have released music on all platforms and hope to share it with audiences worldwide Seth is back on the program today with an original song that he wrote and sang as part of the mental health empowerment day mhed 2021 conference in toronto and he's going to sing it for us today Seth Sosky, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss.
3: Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: So great to see you. And uh, always, like wherever you are, wherever you're performing, as you know, I'm a huge fan. We're huge fans here. And one of the last exciting things that happened was you and your buddies from Season were on America's Got Talent. And Simon Cowell just loved you guys. Can you tell us what that experience was like?
3: It was amazing. Uh, yeah, so we went down to LA for two weeks because uh, we had to quarantine for one of the weeks, uh, and then there was two days of filming, lots of interviews, and uh, you know B-roll footage and all that stuff, which mostly they didn't use. But uh, the the performance itself was was amazing. We walked out there, and they almost looked like like fake. Like I couldn't believe they were real people, the judges. Uh, it was amazing. Um, it was kind of all a blur, and what some people wouldn't know from seeing it uh, is that we actually sang two songs uh, in our in our audition. Simon asked us to sing a second song a cappella, which is the one that aired on TV. So the first one wasn't shown. <laughs>
1: Wow. And and you also, before you ever got there, you won the Canadian talent competition in conjunction with Breakfast Television, and we had you on to talk about that. And that in itself was very, very exciting. Out of thousands and thousands of people, you were the grand prize winner of that competition as well. Are you going to be involved in any way in the Canadian Canada's Got Talent uh, upcoming show that's coming out next spring, or is that a secret?
3: <laughs> that is that is a very good question. I can tell you that a season will not be. Um and I I did send in an audition for me as myself to be a part of it. Um but yeah, I'm still waiting to hear. I sent I, I had to send them some more videos, uh, but I'm still waiting. So I'm not sure is the answer.
1: Exciting. So exciting. Well, you, uh, you're you just beyond talented and as a solo artist, as part of season and as everything. So I have to say, I was thrilled to recently be watching the Mental Health Empowerment Day conference. And when I heard that you were going to be on, I was even more excited to watch. And I especially was excited when I heard that you were going to be singing at the event and that you were going to be singing an original. And honestly, and this is really why we invited you here today. I was blown away by your voice, as always, because you kill it every time. You're, you consistently are fabulous. That's what I have to say about you. And, and also by the song. And you also shared a very personal story about mental health that was very powerful and impactful. Can you tell us a little bit about what you talked about?
3: Yeah. First of all, thank you. You're very sweet. Um, so I, uh, I do have a generalized anxiety disorder. Um it it started when I was very young. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Uh and then years later that faded away, and then years later um it was brought back by manifesting itself physically. And in in 2019 was when it got quite bad. I was in a um uh theater contract in Stephenville, Newfoundland, and i started getting these weird weird symptoms like my (laughs) like really nauseous i was losing weight my my heart would beat really really fast my blood pressure was dropping my it, it was just an array of symptoms like my hands would sweat and then again i couldn't sleep so I, it, yeah it was oh, it was a quite a time for me terrible. and i was in denial that this was had anything to do with anxiety um so after going to a bunch of doctors and i i flew back to toronto i had to leave the the contract unfortunately uh because it was very fun <laughs> but mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. then after all of those uh, appointments and scans and blood tests and everything like that I was basically left with nothing. I was left with we don't know what this is, it's probably anxiety, and so, from there, I saw a psychiatrist, saw a therapist, and I went on a medication that I'm on today, and I'm doing a lot better um, but yeah, my Glad to hear that thank you, thank you um. I think a lot of people suffer from this and don't, don't talk about it. Um, and I think it's super important just to, to not be afraid, not be afraid to talk about it at all and know that there's always people on your side, no matter who you are really. So that is, that is what I like to spread. And the saying I love is that, um, what is that saying again? It's something about, you have to learn to ride the wave, You know, yeah. if the wave's coming, there's no way of getting around it. You got to learn to ride it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You're such a great person. (laughs) No, you are. You are because you know what? A lot of people wouldn't share this and it's so courageous of you to share it. And first of all, I'm sorry that you had to go through all of this. And I applaud you for sticking with it and figuring out what's going to work and now being an advocate for other people. There's nothing better than that. Thank you. Really? And you wrote Mm -hmm. a song, Just Breathe, that is so beautiful. The lyrics, like, I don't know, the lyrics and your voice. What inspired you? Well, obviously this, but can you tell us a little bit about the song and set it up for us?
3: Absolutely. So following that whole story, um, a big thing that got me through it was songwriting um, and still does today. So the song Just Breathe is about anxiety and it is about my experience with it um, for for years and years, everyone would tell me to just breathe right and that that's the number one thing I would hear from my parents, my family members, friends, and for me, that didn't work. I couldn't just breathe you know when i when I felt like I was suffocating, I couldn't just breathe, so that is the concept of the song and it's the, the, lyrics are quite simple. Um, and yeah, I think it speaks for itself. Uh, the rest of it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's all have a listen to just breathe by Seth soski Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Oh, my God. That was so beautiful, Seth. That was so beautiful. And I, I encourage you all, if you want to see Seth Sosky singing this, to go to the MHED website, and you can check it out right there and watch him doing it as, as he did it for the conference. It was it, it's just incredible. I love seeing you on Ellen Schwartz's Jake's Jam. Whenever I do, you always kill. You're always awesome. What do you love about being part of that community?
3: Oh, that is is just the best. I mean, Ellen, Jake's mom, um, has been doing stuff like that for so many years, and she's just so amazing, and the community is just getting bigger and bigger, and I was, honestly, I was one of the original people, and so it feels great to just be a part of it and yeah, I can't come every Sunday because, you know, working and grinding away. But <laughs> when I'm there, it, it's so special. It always is. It always is so special. And, we, and I love when I see you there.
1: I know I've asked you this before, but what is bliss these days for Seth Sosky?
3: Bliss these days for Seth Sosky is just spending time with people you love. That's bliss these days because I think that's important. And appreciating the people you love.
1: So beautifully put, and that's absolutely so right. It's it, There's just nothing that trumps it. I love that answer. It's fabulous. What is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you, Seth, on social media?
3: The best way is at my Instagram. It's just at Seth Zosky, just one word, my name, uh, or my email, which is zosky at gmail.com. Awesome.
1: I want to thank
3: you. You're a beautiful artist, Seth. You really
1: are. And I'm, I'm not just saying this, but w- whether it's on Jake's Jam or with Season or anything you've done solo or this beautiful MHED thing that you did, it's just, there's something consistently beautiful about your work every time. And I just love listening to you. So thank you so much for being here today. It was wonderful
3: having you. Well, thank you so very much for your words and thank you for having me. Always.
1: You're always welcome. The next big thing that happens, you got to let us know and come on back. Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, and musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation person, or anyone who has found in, is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. And you can do that by writing to FYB at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. So if I can help you in any way, please let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. Also, I'm on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. All you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can follow us at the Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. In Bliss News, I'm so thrilled to tell you about a brand new documentary on November 27th by a real friend to our show. And that's documentary filmmaker Karen Shopsowitz. And we've actually got Karen live here today to tell us about her awesome documentary, Magic Shadows, We Yost, A Life in Movies. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Karen. Karen Shopsowitz, as many of you know, is an award-winning producer, director, editor, and camera person whose work has been screened nationally and internationally. She has a Bachelor of Journalism degree from Carleton University. Masters of Fine Arts in Film and Video from York University, and a Certificate in Feature Film Writing from UCLA's Online Writer Studio. She has served as producer, director, writer, and editor of the award-winning My Grandparents Had a Hotel. Her National Film Board documentary, My Father's Camera, was honoured with the prestigious Peabody Award. In addition to editing all of her own films, Karen has also edited a number of other productions for other directors. Karen, welcome to Finding Your Bliss.
0: Thank you for having me, Judy. Congratulations
1: on your latest film, Magic Shadows, L.E.O.'s to Life in Movies. Can you tell us briefly a little bit about your documentary?
0: Okay, well, first of all, I have to give full credit to Meredith Usher, who it was his idea to do this film with a friend of his, and he is the ultimate Eloy aficionado. And they were looking for somebody to direct it. And I still remember what they posted was, Did you grow up in the 70s in Ontario and do you love old films? And my response was, Is this a documentary about LEOs? <laughs> Because it's the only thing it could be. Oh, that's great. (laughs) And so what we did with this and working with a great team, you know, Meredith and then the other producer, Colette Bosberg, were able to, what we really strove to do, and I have to give full credit to the editor, Deb Holloway. What we really strove to do was to show el I mean, first of all, Elwi, if you watched him, he had the most unbelievable personality and this incredible warmth. And that's what comes across in this film. We use a lot of the old interviews that he did, which for me was the favorite part, and also revealing parts of his personality that you might not know about Elwi. Um, he's still a great guy. He's wonderful. He's warm. He's fantastic. But I didn't know that in 1948, when he graduated from school, from U of T, he made a film. And it's a really weird film. And he also really wanted to be a director and actor. And he has a very small cameo in John Huston's Moulin Rouge. Wow. Yeah.
1: Isn't that cool? I never knew that. I just can't get over the movie stars that he interviewed, the people that he interviewed. And I want to actually, we have a clip of the trailer courtesy of TV Ontario. I'd love to just roll that clip just so our listeners can get a glimpse of how great this is. Let's roll that clip.
4: Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is OG.
3: People would say, you know, Saturday
0: night, do you want to go out? I don't know. What's on Elway? This guy is the luckiest guy in the world. He gets to talk
4: about movies. You want to take it all for yourself and cut me out.
0: And he gets to talk to famous people.
4: Oh, cool. <laughs> great honor to meet you, Kirk Douglas. Smart and short. Mel Brooks, it's great to meet you, but why? What gives with that Raptor's hat? Elway was the only place you could get that kind
3: of behind the scenes look.
0: This incredible view of craft.
3: We're trying to encourage movie viewing in a bifocal way. Now, this this is actually an art form. This is something beyond what we thought films could do. Now it is that time, ladies and gentlemen, time to turn
4: your lights down alone. Put your feet up. Magic Shadows, El Oast, A Life in Movies,
1: a TVO original, premieres November 27th. Karen, I can't get over the movie stars, the A-listers that El we interviewed. Were there any that kind of blew you away? Or can you list some of the names of the people that El actually had on his show?
0: Well, what was amazing is L. We interviewed, like in our film, you'll get to see a quick interview with Otto Preminger, John Huston, Janet Leigh. But what I loved about L. We which really... I think this is where, you know, I kept joking with Deb, the editor, that it was going to take us so long because we'd start watching these interviews. We had access to all of the archives and I'd be like, "Okay, see you in three hours. (laughs) I'm just digging into the longest interview with Jerry Goldsmith, the composer or a set designer or somebody who did special effects. And that was the stuff that Elwi was magical about, was that not only did he have this incredible respect for the stars, but he had so much respect for the people behind the scenes.
1: Isn't that wonderful? I saw it. there was a little bit of a clip of Martin Short, and I'm sure that was fabulous. That's coming up and so much more. Uh, Karen, can you tell us more about the release date and how people can watch the film?
0: So it's going to be premiering, and this is really exciting, Saturday, November 27th at 8 p.m., which is Saturday night at the movie's original time slot, which is really, really cool. And so check the TVO website. It's also going to be on YouTube, on TVO's YouTube channel and on Roku. So it will be readily available. It's going to be repeated a few times. And we are all, that our whole team is so thrilled to know that people are going to see it. And fall in love with Elwi again, which is what happened to me.
1: Isn't that wonderful? Everyone, check that out. November 27th, Magic Shadows, Elwi owes life in movies, TV Ontario. How can people connect with you on social media, Karen? Oh.
0: Can they? Um you can follow me on Twitter. Well my my other one is private. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as MovieWits, and that's a great place to find me. And I I do post occasionally.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Karen, uh, I should just tell our listeners, her phones have been ringing. She is a busy, busy director, producer, and editor at work. And we're going to let her get back to it. But Karen, thanks so much for stopping in to the Finding Your Bliss studios today. It was so great to have you. And we want to have you back for a serious interview all about your illustrious career. Thank you. Let's do that. I would like to thank all of our guests, Robin Keystone, Seth Zosky, and Karen Shopsowitz. Thank you to Mag Ruffman, producer Schwan Kiley, senior editor Haley Allegia, and our editorial assistant, Lauren Kaminsky, our intern, Shelly Koskinen, and audio producer, Faz Cozzi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And, of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Centre. For everyone here, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.